Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Media. Obviously, there are no words to describe the type of suffering being inflicted on the people of Israel and Palestine right now. There's, there's no words. The, there's what, what comfort could any of us bring? You know what I'm saying? So let me say that out the jump before y'all start. I just, it's not like I'm worried about the emails, but like, I figured I'd tell you right now. This is going to be a really long episode um, because it's complicated. And uh, this shit has been going on for so long, y'all. These are ultimately the point I'm making, which you'll see in this, is. This is the product of dehumanizing is what, is what happens. So look, I'm going to have to keep the names and dates really under, under wraps here because, yeah, this could get us all in trouble. But I'll tell you a story of a friend of mine, uh, one of his relatives got out of prison needed a place to stay so he stayed with you know the homie my homie and his mom i'm gonna change a few of the things just to make sure that like the not so innocent are protected this is based on a true story i'm not i can't get too much into the details here so the homie's uh mom was having this situation with uh this mechanic right her car was not being treated with the right type of care. Kept saying the car needs like, oh, two more weeks, two more weeks. You know, it's, it's almost done. Two more weeks. Like, it'll be good. Don't worry about it. We got you. And I mean, you could really, you could swap this with any story. You know, you, you come home, you've been picked on by whatever kid from whatever two streets over this 
these people didn't give you the right are like charging you more than you're supposed to be charged. You can insert any of this. There's just one relative you shouldn't tell this because that relative loves you deeply and has a way of handling things and has probably stayed quiet and stayed out of it for as long as they could because everybody doesn't really agree with their methods. They, their purpose, we all agree with, but they methods is a little, I don't know, man, kind of, I kind of feel like war crimes, your methods. <laughs> but in their defense, which maybe there isn't any, they feel like war crimes have been committed towards their family. But either way, this is a button you don't necessarily want to push, right? But then they start seeing the pain in your face, the suffering that you're going through. This particular situation was looking at his auntie and was like, you know, what's wrong, auntie? You know, and she's like, God, man, I just like, I swear I keep seeing my car driven around. Like, I, I swear that mechanic is just, he's just keeping my car. You know, and um, this particular friend of mine, his relative that got out of prison is, is plenty years older than him. So it's not like, you know, he can't, it's not like he was able to, as like the son, be able to like go and take care of this situation. It, was, it would require an adult. So he says, you know, hey, you know, auntie, I'll, I'll take care of it. So <laughs> the relative goes to the mechanic and kidnaps him, does all types of horrendous things to this mechanic and leaves him in the elements just to be ate by whatever animals are outside. Just at like, gets, his, gets the keys back, right? to his auntie's car, makes it very clear what you was doing was disrespectful to a nice old lady, and you're lucky this is all I'm doing. And brings the, hey, look, and this this is a nervous laugh. Like, this isn't, it's not funny. It's like, it's a nervous laugh. So he, he does the, the acts of discipline, and then he brings his auntie her keys back. And the homie's auntie was like, uh, nephew, I, I mean, I ain't, I mean, I'm glad, thank, thank you. Like, thank, thank you for getting my car back. Like, uh, I mean, I ain't, I just wanted you to kind of like, just scare me, get my car back. The homie cousin say, hey, hey, he's scared. He real scared. And look, he ain't going to do this to nobody else. I just want to say thank you for allowing me to have another chance at somewhere, plum place to stay. And as a token of my appreciation, I took care of this for you. Okay? I love you. Let me know if you need anything else. <laughs> this is not funny because, like, I am scrubbing this story so clean. The, the, the details of this story is, I, like, the details are horrendous. I can't, they're horrendous. When, sometimes, if a person been pushed too far and been taken advantage of for too long, you understand that you, the, 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 the pressure cooker makes it, makes it be like this. It, you, you understand what I'm saying? Listen, again, replace this with anybody. This could be you come home, somebody stole your shoes, and your big brother go across the street and burn their house down. 
Which one of them niggas stole your shoes? And he burned the house down. It's like, damn, I mean, thanks. I just I just wanted them to stop picking on me. Your little brother, your brother say he gonna stop picking on you now. I tell you that right now. He ain't gonna pick on nobody. I wish a nigga would pick. I wish he would pick on you again. You gonna learn today. Say, I, I mean, you burn the whole damn house down. Ain't nobody, like, everybody gotta go. Like, nigga, everybody gotta go. If you with him, if you with him, you getting it too. I'm not, we like, you need to understand that this needs to stop happening. Y'all know how I move. These are not justifications. They are explanations. Just understand what's happening here. Maybe that's what Hamas was doing. Hood politics, y'all. All right, guys, second episode of You Wasn't Outside because we're back here again, pretty much on clock, right on time with another Israel and, and Palestine scuffle. This one is bad. The badness, however, man, let me, how do I say this? If you're in the region, it never stopped. Like it never, this conflict never stopped. The conflict's it's 70 years old. So today I want to re, re, uh, remind y'all a principle about when you open your mouth and when you try to form your opinions about this. It's, again, you wasn't outside. And if you don't know what that means, let me remind you. It's a way to describe when, if you didn't really gangbang, like if you didn't, if you weren't in the field, you know, when, you know, these these young brothers, these young sisters was 12, 13, 14 years old, when they were getting in trouble, when they, was, when they were super active, when we was running from bullets, running from the cops, when they was really, really, really out there getting a certification. Like if you didn't live that, even wherever you were, if you was in New York, if you was this, like whatever it was, if you wasn't really in the hood, then it's, of course there's the humanity of like, some stuff is just like, yeah, you could say that's pretty, that's objectively cruel. That is objectively a crime. And this is, these things are objectively tragic. Like I don't think anybody, at least anybody that grew up like we grew up, like there's no delusions about the carnage, what it meant to be, around sort of the type of gang violence that a lot of us grew up around or participated in. I'm even saying around because I'm even being very careful. You know, you never see me actually carrying or wearing no bandanas and stuff. It's not because I'm scared. It's, it's, I mean, I am, but it's because I respect the fact that like people really lived and died by them flags. So, you know, like I'm not, ain't no made up set here. Like, ain't no, like if you wasn't really there, you should really be careful about your opinions about this situation, about the people in this situation and what it was like to be there. Like if you wasn't really there, you really don't know. You wasn't outside. And I think here's the thing with Americans, with us, and I'm putting myself really into this before I get into like really what I'm gonna get into for this, for this episode is 
I've been to the West Bank. I've seen, you know, obviously I can't go into Gaza, you know what I'm saying, which is another part of the politics that people really not recognize. And not only can I not go in, they can't come out. Like, yo, like I don't think y'all understand really what's going on in Gaza. The point I'm trying to make is, I had to reckon, like I'm like I'm a child of a Black Panther. I consider myself, even among my friends, I consider myself the wokeist. <laughs> even the time I went, I felt I felt like I was probably the most socially and politically aware of my friend group. Like I, that's I mean I don't say this as any detriment to them. It's just because that's my field. That's the 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 waters I swam in is understanding justice and and equity and equality and and persecution around the world like that's that's the stuff i lived in hell i'm on the board for humanitarian organizations you feel me people that do peace brokering in conflict regions like i would sit on the board of directors for this mug so i feel like this is the world i'm in but standing in jerusalem like israel's jerusalem and then bethlehem and east jerusalem standing in palestine going down to the west bank listening to their stories and then these other people's stories made me realize how uninformed I actually was and how curated our news really is. And I consider myself aware, fam. Like, but standing there, I was like, yo, I really, I am really a product. I'm really, I've really been, pun intended, I'm, I've, I am part of a propaganda machine. And you, you really don't see it until you get there. And I prided myself in being more aware most of the people, but standing out there, dog, I was like, yo, I really don't, I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not out here. You know what I'm saying? So I had to like reform, like start from scratch, any opinion I had and just, and, and in a lot of ways, just trust my eyes. And cause I feel like, you know, I've been part of, what's, what's, what's an example? Okay. If you, I'm, a good example would be if you ever visit Russia, like if you ever visit, like if you my age and you visited Russia, you thought, man, you thought the USSR was just this <laughs> desolate, miserable place where no one smiles, the worst place. You just thought being in the, so oh my God, it's so terrible. They have no freedom, it's awful. It'd be a horrible place to go. You thought Dracos was like roaming the streets. And then you go, and then I went to St. Peter's. When you go to St. Peter's, you're like, this is a beautiful city. It's, this is the greatest dope clubs, man. They got hip hop. Like, man, I'm sitting here and you know, I'm just enjoying a nice iced tea. Like, it's a great place with regular ass people who, Go to work and go home just like the rest of us. You're just like, oh, and it's like, but you want to be like, but y'all miserable. Like, y'all hate this communist, right? It's zero, 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 right? Dude, I have a friend from Canada. And then listen, listen, like this is what I'm trying to say. Like, appreciate this, what you coming from. I had a friend from Canada and when they got married, I was like, where are you going? To, where are you spending their honeymoon? They was like, Cuba. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, wait. You he go, he's like, yeah, it's just America that doesn't go. Like the rest of us, we we go to Cuba all the time. I was like, you, we just you don't realize how much of your information is really curated and and to the point to where you don't believe your own eyes. And that was my experience. It was like I. It was like I couldn't. I'm looking at what is obviously what I'm looking at. But I just could not get my head around it. One, because I'm from America. And two, because I grew up in the church. We went to church. So, like, you supposed to think about, you know, Israel the way you supposed to think about Israel. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but, you, but I'm standing there. And I'm like, this, it's almost like I would not let myself believe my eyes. But it, I had to come back and say, but you know what, though? 
Look, in the same way, I don't want to hear none of y'all talk about violence in Chicago. I don't want to hear none of y'all talk about crime waves raising. Listen, which is also very funny to me. When people talking about crime waves raising in America, I'm like, did y'all forget? Did y'all forget the 90s? Like, did you? They're just, are we just not counting the 90s? Oh, we're in, a, we're in an amazing crime wave. I'm like, okay, crime is down from 2023 to 2022. Crime, crime has gone down, but it's way higher than levels in 2019, right? But both of those numbers, it's not even close to the numbers <laughs> in the 90s. I'm like, did y'all forget? Like, what the hell you mean crime? I'm like, did y'all, y'all forget it? Y'all remember the 90s? Like, <laughs> crime was wild. Cause, so I don't wanna hear you talk about no, no crime rates. And then it's like, well, obviously it was the pandemic, sir. That's why the crime went the way it went. Like, are y'all serious? But anyway, I'm like, you wasn't, I man, y'all wasn't there. Like, it's like, if I don't wanna hear what you got to say cause you wasn't there. Like you don't like there's so much of this, there's so much backstory. There's so much of this, like, ditch and 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 the way that y'all talking about it makes me know, oh nigga, you wasn't there. Y'all, y'all wasn't outside. You making this shit, you wasn't there. Like you, you know what I'm saying? Like it, when I tell you the you're just you're walking home from school and the the daily the thought that like I might die on the way home. Like if you these are real thoughts. Like this, you, I still try to say, it's just like, you, you just hope, it was just like roving packs <laughs> of vehemently, venomously dangerous boys just on the streets. Like, this, like, uh, this was LA, like y'all, y'all forget this? So all that to say, again, you wasn't outside. visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I do have a thesis for this episode, um, which is not necessarily just a play-by-play of what had happened was, you know, which is the normal kind of way we do this. I think this one has to do more with just how we talk about it. And I just want to throw some stuff into your little think box this time. But that needs context. I think the first thing. So ultimately, I want to talk about like, if we really want to see peace. We got to like. We got to reverse engineer it. So there's that. I think secondly, you have to really understand. And have an appreciation of humanity, period, which I just I. For some reason in our psyches, and I'm speaking specifically about us out West in America, we want a clean narrative of a protagonist and and an antagonist, you know? And I think in a way, a lot of times we do that, we compare carnage. It's like, well, look how bad this carnage is. And, And then the other person say, well, look how bad this carnage is. And it just doesn't get us anywhere because the carnage is is the problem, period, right? And and even if so, like if you're going to make a defense for Israel and, and what Palestine, and not specifically Palestine right now, but Hamas, what Hamas did, you, you don't want to do the numbers thing because the numbers aren't even close of the amount of deaths Israel has given to Palestine. Like, it's not even close. You could look it up on the UN. It's not even close. 
you know, it does, this is no, again, hear, hear what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is these comparisons, they're not helpful. Like even making the comparison ain't helpful. And then I'm saying, but even if you were, it's not even close. Like the, if you're going to do that, then Israel is clearly the villain. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to do that, I'm just saying, let's not even think about it like that. So we want to reverse engineer peace, right? We want to stop looking for a clear protagonist and antagonist, right? And then I think you really have to understand not only the history, but how identities are formed. I got some clips I want to play too. This is the first time I'm going to play clips. I got some clips from some rabbis um, about just the uniqueness of what we're talking about here. And I think I, I talked about this in the first You Wasn't Outside when we form an identity and what an identity is, particularly in this region. There's, It's not a one-to-one -one ratio of what it means to define your personhood in this region. And I hear, it's crazy, because I even hear newscasters conflate a lot of things that actually aren't helpful. You know, you know how some, there are some terms and like, if you're, if you're bilingual, there are some terms that just don't, there's no direct translation, you know? And if I were to explain to you the direct translation, it, it, it actually takes on a whole different meaning. Identity is like that where they are. If you're, I mean, this is, this is for people who have no relation to an Arab region in their family lineage. Like if you just, everybody else, like, if you from you, this is stupid to you because you're like, duh, this is how we think about things. But the but the West doesn't, you know. So I got some clips from a couple rabbis who actually, I think, really helped sort out that um, uniqueness. Okay, now little history. It, there's really, it's really almost impossible to like know where to drop drop into the history of Judea, which is the historical name of this particular region, even before it was called Palestine, before it was called Israel, it was called Judea. That's just the, that's just the ancient, it's what it was, right? That being said, in the, in the first You Wasn't Outside episode, I actually walked you through, um, which I would say refer to, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through all of it again, but just the amount of times this particular swath of land has changed hands. And in that whole time, there's been people whose families have never left. They, we just, you know, are you ever heard the phrase, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. That's kind of what happened in, for most families in Judea. You know, whether we're talking about, now we're getting into biblical stuff, because again, the, the identity way that we formed it, like, I'm going to, again, I'm going to play this clip a little later. I'm all over the place because it's so many moving parts happening at one time. But like, theologically speaking, what makes a person a Jew is it's co is the covenant. It's the covenant with Yahweh. You know what I'm saying? With their God. Like it, it, it you got to go into Exodus. He's like, I've made a promise to these people, these Abrahamic people from this particular region. And even within that, like being children of Abraham, if you will, I'm throwing out these names, assuming you've read a Bible or a, or a Quran. Even with that, I can point at four different people in the Old Testament who were from other tribes that considered part of being the children of Israel. Matter of fact, the lineage of King David, which eventually becomes the lineage of Jesus. They not, I mean, Rahab, like 
they're just root the Moabitess. Like these people in there, they're they're from other tribes. But the point I'm trying to make is it's the covenant with Yahweh is what makes you part of their identity, right? Now, again, this is a particular theological view. Like every other religion and belief, there's a lot of varying types of, of theology. Call me on it. I might not know what I'm talking about. I think I do, right? And I'm going to bring in some rabbis to to try to like, and again, even the rabbis I'm bringing in, they might be, you know what I'm saying? Like you may think that this fool full of crap. I don't know. Maybe your rabbi teaches different. Either way, this is just, just to help us on the West understand like what we're looking at. You know what I'm saying? So if you're going to get biblical, we're talking about like the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medo-Persians, all these different empires that according to the prophecies, you know, the, the Old Testament prophets, God was going to scatter them. Like, y'all got to go. Y'all went everywhere. And then there was a promise to bring them all back, right? Now, Zionists believe that that promise was fulfilled in 1948 when Israel became a nation state. That's, they, they, would, they would argue that that's, that's the fulfilling promise. Now, some Jewish scholars think, well, that's preposterous. That's not, a, that's not even what it meant because it was never about location. It was about covenant. Anyway, getting in the weeds there. But the point is, as we all know, Jews come in all different colors, sizes, and shapes, right? And they was all over Europe and experienced, let's not trip, the, the some of the worst atrocities known to humankind. The things that have been done to the Jews in Europe, I mean, absolutely unthinkable. Now, if we're talking just sheer numbers of death, the Native Americans suffered a higher number, but... It, which is crazy to say that like, yeah, those numbers actually dwarf the Holocaust, but that's a whole other story. Point is, Holocaust was real and that type of trauma has been sitting in these collective bones for so long. Clearly they had no place to go. Now, the the sanitary story is that, you know, birth in these concentration camps and birth in these sufferings was this yearning to go back home, to find a place that we could call our own and to go build that place in the land of our ancestors, which was Judea or what they're like, well, that's Israel, right? But at the time was Palestine. Why it's Palestine is because while all this was happening everywhere else, whether it was the Turkish empire, (laughs) the Romans, the Maluks, like everybody all got a piece of the action in this land called Judea. Palestine's called Palestine because when the Romans sacked it, they were making fun of them. And Palestine is like Philistine, which is like the mortal enemies. But either way, there's people that's like, I don't care what you call it, we never left. You feel me? Uh, we've been Palestine since the Roman Empire. So we're, it's it's that's where we are. Now, the birth of the modern nation state, as y'all know, that's post-World War II, which as you know, nation states are imaginary lines. They're just, they're made up. They're not like, and they are fortified by violence, right? And commerce. Well, this is a made up term, right? Because the borders aren't actually real. They're made up. The modern nation state, product of war and imaginary borders. Like that's just, I don't know what else to, that's what it is.
Now, at this point, I think it's a good idea to drop in this clip from Rabbi uh, Yaakov Shapiro. Uh, he wrote this book called The Empty Wagon, uh, Zionism's Journey from Identity Crisis to Identity Theft. It's an incredible book. He's a um, theologian, rabbi, obviously, 30 years, incredibly smart man. And like I said, there's probably plenty of y'all that think he's full of shit. Yeah, I, listen, I understand that. You know, but I think what he's about to articulate really is helpful to understand, again, the way that these identities merge and interplay. Now, again, he's a theologian, so he talks in those terms. And in this clip, he's responding to specifically Trump talking about um, moving the capital uh, from Tel Aviv, like uh, the the embassy moving from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. All right. Embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. No, no. I was with him until he said the eternal capital of the Jewish people. President Trump has the right to make whatever foreign policy he wants, and if he feels that Miami Beach is best to recognize as the capital of Israel, that's his business, he can do it. But once he starts talking about the Jewish people, now he's encroaching upon religion, and now that's my domain. There is absolutely no political relationship between the Jewish people and Jerusalem. It's merely a holy city. The Jewish people don't have a capital. We never had a capital. Countries have capitals. States have capitals. That's the definition of a capital. Capital. Dictionary. Noun. The most important city or town of a country or region. Now, the Jewish people are not a country or region. The Jewish people are a religious community. We pray towards Jerusalem, but we relate to Jerusalem only as a holy city, not as a political capital city of the Jewish people. And all of those overtures that we make to Jerusalem and the yearning that Jews have for Jerusalem is only as a holy city not as a capital city, and because it's a holy city, it doesn't matter who has sovereignty over it. Jerusalem is just as holy and just as much Jerusalem, whether it's under the auspices of the Turks, or the Romans, or the British, or whoever. It's important to know that the, the Zionists were the ones that started this business of the capital of the Jewish people, and it's an idea that conflicts directly with the teachings of Judaism. At Mount Sinai in the desert, the Torah says, the Bible says about us, Hayom Hazen That's when we became a, a people. The Jewish people aren't a people because of a land. We're not a people because of a language. We're not a people because of a culture. We're a religion. And when we were deputized into the religion, when we accepted the religion given to us by God, that's when we became the Jewish people. We had no land, no territories, we had no capital city. And in fact, our commentators say the reason why God gave the Jews the Torah in a desert before they went into the Holy Land was in order to teach them that land, country, has nothing to do with your Jewishness. Your Jewishness is because you accept the religion. A couple of years ago, the Pope went to visit Netanyahu, and Netanyahu's bragging to the Pope, this is where Jesus lived in this land, and he spoke Hebrew here. So the Pope corrected him. The Pope said, no, Aramaic. And the he, he, Pope was right. Netanyahu, so Netanyahu says, yeah, yeah, but he understood Hebrew. Well, you know, maybe he did, 
But, but Hebrew was, was never the national language of the Jewish people. It was a holy language, just like uh, the land of Israel was a holy land. Oh, by the way, if, if you see the clip and you don't know which of the two people talking is Netanyahu and which is the Pope, the Pope's the one wearing the yarmulke. Even if we were to pretend that the Jewish people have a capital, that would have nothing to do with whether Jerusalem should be the capital of Israel, because Israel's not the Jewish people. Israel has nothing to do with the old Jewish commonwealth. It's a country that was created in 1948 when you hear the Israelis or the Zionists talk about how uh, Jerusalem has a connection with the Jewish people for 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 years. It's all true, but that doesn't translate to, well, therefore, Jerusalem has to be part of Israel. People think that Israel is some kind of continuation of uh, Jewish uh, governments, and, but it's not. It's a completely different form of government, completely different values, completely different ideology, and completely different people. These are not religious Jews that are running the country. These are atheists. And yet, the Israeli prime ministers from Ben-Gurion all the way up to Netanyahu use the Bible as an excuse for ownership of the land. Ben-Gurion, he says, the mandate is not our Bible, but the Bible is our mandate. This is a man that didn't believe the Bible was given by God. He didn't believe God ever spoke to prophets. He didn't believe it at all. Neither does Benjamin Netanyahu. It says in the Bible, watch the Sabbath to keep it holy. Netanyahu doesn't refrain from work on the Sabbath. It says not to eat non-kosher food in the Bible. Does Netanyahu do that? No. There is nothing holy in the Bible that Netanyahu cares about. The only thing he cares about is his land. Restorationist uh, Protestants, we call them evangelical Christians today, they existed hundreds of years before any Jewish Zionist was ever born. And because the evangelicals, the restorationists, had great influence in Britain, and Britain had the mandate, the Zionists very, very much adopted the Christian evangelical interpretation of the Bible, and that's what they use today. You'll find that Benjamin Netanyahu sometimes even espouses Christian evangelical interpretations of the Bible over the Jewish ones. A number of years ago, Netanyahu spoke in the Society of the Auschwitz concentration camp, and he mentioned a prophecy in the book of Yechezkel about how the prophets saw dry bones rising from the ground and growing flesh and becoming live again. And Netanyahu says that that prophecy is fulfilled with the state of Israel, because the Jews were dried bones and now they grew flesh and they are, they are real people again. This interpretation is not found anywhere in any Jewish source. Because in Judaism, this is impossible. But for over a century, this has been a Christian evangelical interpretation. The Zionists, when they talk about the Bible, they're not talking about the Judaic version of Judaism and Jewishness. They're talking really about the Christian evangelical version. Netanyahu has no right to claim that his state is mine. I was born in America. My father was born in Poland. My mother's family is from England. We have nothing to do with Israel. We're Jews. We're observant Jews. We're religious Jews. I wear a yarmulke. Netanyahu doesn't. I keep the Shabbos. Netanyahu doesn't. And Israel is not my nation state in the slightest. This is a, a unilateral claim of the Israelis, of the Zionists, and it's an assault on my religion. So too, the claim that Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish people because it transforms the Jewish people from a religious identity to a national identity, to a political identity. And it's an assault on my religion when Netanyahu says that because 
Jerusalem is so connected to the Jewish people, therefore it must be part of the state of Israel. Jerusalem's holiness, Jerusalem's value to the Jewish people has nothing to do with who owns it, and it certainly has no reason to be part of the state of Israel. visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangsta Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangsta Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangsta rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangsta Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this differentiation between person, nation, 
and ethnicity, it's really important for this conversation. Now, as these Zionists came up with this idea to build this modern nation state, there couldn't have been any doubt in the original, like, mandates people's mind that the only way to build a nation is to expel the people that are there. Like, because it's people already there. It's just you had to, like, kind of know that. But at the same time, these people are functioning from serious, deep-seated, horrible atrocities that I wouldn't wish on anybody. So with that type of trauma sitting in your bones, the idea of somebody saying you don't belong here triggers all of the anti-Semitism that they've experienced for so long. And I feel it because that's a real, real thing. And I think I'm using terms like Zionist, Israeli, again, on purpose, because these are all different types of identities and they're all different things. Anti-Semitism has to do with the idea of you thinking that Jews should not exist. That's absurd and deplorable and disgusting. And I understand why they're so defensive about it, right? So then you have this mandate. Basically what happened was in during the 1940s, it was under British control, the region of Palestine. They decided we're just gonna like, we're just gonna leave and it's up for grabs. We're not gonna fight over it. It's just, this is too weird. Whoever wants it, you could get it. And while Palestine was thinking, okay, finally y'all gonna leave, this other group of people from Europe came in and snatched a mug up and was like, all right, we building a nation. Israel's born. We just made a deal with Europe. And Palestine, Palestinians is like, wait, who, who, wait, who are y'all? And they're like, well, this is our ancestral land. They're like, okay, well, this is our ancestral land too, and our current land. Like, I'll, I'll, what you, you're just gonna build a country right here? Well, that's cool, man. But like. We kind of already are a country. No, 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 no. This is the ancestral land of the Jewish people. And the Palestinians was like, well, yeah, we, a lot of us are Jewish too. Yeah, no, we're, we're from here. And they're like, no, no, we're from here. It was like, well, damn, y'all look real Russian to be from here, right? The point is there was quite a culture class right there. And then the next moves, y'all, please understand, they were political. Like these moves are, this is politics, y'all. And as we know what informs politics, just like in America, is faith, race, and identity, right? But it's different there because what does it mean to be an Arab? A lot of times you say Arab, you think Muslim. Uh, not all Arabs are Muslim. Not all Arabs are Christian. Not all Arabs are Jews. Arab is, it's an umbrella term that we want to compartmentalize as something. So when you talk about Hamas being a Muslim extremist, they just happen to be Muslim, right? <laughs> That's not, that is not what, radicalized them. What radicalized them was oppression, right? Who you thinking about when you thinking of Muslim extremists, you thinking Hezbollah, that's Iran, right? And they are, that's more of a political, religious, zealot situation. Hamas, that's different. They from Palestine. They was in a different situation. They're facing, and this is the part that like, I feel like I had to like, let myself see if I'm going to let myself, and it hurts me so much to say it, but again, these moves are political. They're not, they're political moves. Yo, and let me say this, just like in America, it's plenty of times where, you know, your regular ass citizen, we got nothing to do with what, I can't tell you what we're doing everywhere, like, and I don't agree with everything they're doing. Like, so your regular Israeli citizen, uh, probably for the most part is like, man, what is, why y'all doing this? All they know is, damn. Moss be shelling us. Like, I wish y'all ain't shell us. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that's all they know. But they like, I mean, 
shit, man. Like, now I don't agree with the nation doing, but like, I mean, it is what it is. Like, what I'm gonna do? You know, so your regular human is not who I'm talking about. Your regular ass Israeli is not who I'm talking about here. As a geopolitical nation state, they're experiencing, I mean, this it's an ethnic cleansing. Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of what it is. And they're fighting back. Like, y'all... Y'all, Gaza is is the size of Washington, D.C. It's five miles wide. It's 35 miles long. Like, it, it, Gaza's tiny. There's just, and I heard somebody tell me that, well, Israel gave Gaza back in 2005. I need to be more informed. And I'm like, that's a weird way to give back. You tell me they gave back, but they ain't got no army. They ain't got no government. They don't got no municipalities. They you the the power, the water, the food, the borders is all controlled by the other nation. That don't sound like that's giving back to me. And you can't leave. Like I just it just don't seem like that don't sound like giving back to me. All that to say, the radicalization of groups like Hamas. Now I'm gonna say probably, probably Hezbollah in their ear. Like you gonna let this shit ride. You gonna let them keep treating you like this. But their radicalization situational like they just it's hard to not imagine native american tribes if this was 1770 something and native americans had their hands on some of the same that they wouldn't have done the same i just i i can't are we do you okay listen let me pause this because i could already hear you do you want me to condemn the killing of innocent civilians i'm gonna ask you the same question that's the pause was on purpose because that's what war is like. And it's and it's hard to even call this a war because one of them don't got an army. Like this, you, I, that's what I'm trying to say right now. Like, of course it's disgusting. People always want a black people to condemn riots and condemn looting. Like, well, can you cond- well, you're not condoning these actions. I'm like, you want me to do that, but you want me to do that and compartmentalize it. The shit the, the people going through that caused it. The powder keg. But Dr. King talked about it. Like, I can't condone this. I can't condemn this violence without talking about the powder keg that these cities were sitting on. Like, I can't. Now, granted, I understand. These are, we still talk about war crimes. That's why I started with the original story. They war crimes. Like, you, d- duh. But yeah, so once Israel became a nation, it started just chunking off different regions and saying, okay, look, this is what we gonna do. We ain't leaving. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, you know, some of the reparations they're starting to talk about among Native Americans here. And they're like, man, well, what can we, America's like, well, what can we do to make this better? And Native tribes is like, you can give us our land back, <laughs> which is the obvious, right? You and I both know that's not gonna happen. I don't even know why you ask. Well, like, well, nigga, you ask. How you gonna make it right, nigga? You give us our land back. When people say Palestine's not even willing to negotiate because they're like, I mean, it's already at a loss. Like, y'all not leaving. I understand Israel being like, I don't want to hear nobody else tell us that we can't be nowhere. I totally understand that. So they're going through these negotiations, if you will. The problem is Israel has the most state-of-the-art military like on the planet. And they got the backing of everybody. And you fighting against the city of Seattle. So like, I mean, of course it's going to be a bloodbath, right? So they just, so so anyway, so Israel kept chunking away. They kept agreeing to these certain things. And then like, if like I, I remember when I went again, when I went into East Jerusalem, into Bethlehem, 
And they're like, this is Palestine. I'm like, okay, dope. What about those dope condos over there? They're like, oh, those are Israeli settlements. Like, wait, you mean to tell me, okay, (laughs) you mean to tell me this the part that they gave you, but then they still took part of what they gave you? It's like, yeah. I was like, okay, so they didn't give you nothing. They didn't give us nothing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, again, I had to believe my own eyes. I was like, I mean, this is, I mean, it's kind of what's happening. Now, that being said, from an Israeli perspective, it's a quality of life situation where they could be like, using the same argument, like, damn, nigga, we pay for your water. Nigga, we pay for your power, cuz. Like, we your military. Like, damn, nigga, you get to be, I mean, what else do you want, homie? Like, shit. That's that would be like the Israeli side. Like, I mean, all y'all do, and you don't even say thank you. You just bomb us. You just keep telling us we ain't doing shit right. It's like, goddamn, nigga. Like, fuck. This is Israel side. Like, what more can we do? Like, we not leaving. I mean, we got all the bread. Like, we trying to figure out a way for us to like work. Like, I mean, shit, bro. But that brings us to now. Okay, I don't know if y'all remember last year there was. A bombing, some violence that happened in one of Islam's most holiest days in one of their holiest temples on one of their most holy days. You, you remember that, right? According to Hamas, they're like, this what we're retaliating against. Like, y'all, can't, y'all just can't keep doing this to us. I want you to feel the pain we felt and continue to feel because this is just one day for y'all. We've been going through this for 70 years. The pain you feel in today, we've been going through for 70 years. You would think that this is a podcast of approving of that. And it's not. The idea that this was unprovoked is laughable. The provoking started. You'd have to go back to the Ottoman Empire. Now, my final thesis is how do you reverse engineer peace? Because the truth is, that's really my desire for the world. All right next the granular individual level, which is why I'm talking about this peace thing, the suffering is unimaginable. Whether it's continued, a continuous suffering of the Palestinians, whether it's the moves that Hamas is making, whether it's the specific situations that are happening with, you know, citizens of Israel and citizens of Palestine, whatever it is, there's, the the suffering's unimaginable. Again, as somebody who were inner city kids, we get it, the carnage, the carnage is unthinkable. So we used to do our stop the violence, you know, pursuits, our peace treaties. 
when you talk to somebody who is really living that life in in their brain, they're thinking, I, I, you want me to sit across the table? This man killed, potentially killed a fourth of my family. There ain't no peace. Fuck your truce, like like Kendrick says. Like there's there's no like crawl your head in that noose. There is no, you know, that and that's what that's what this type of violence and and, and suffering causes in a person. But if you really want to see that type of world peace that I think we all hope for, if that's your goal, like I had a business partner say, is if your goal is in 10 years, you want this, well, you need to reverse engineer that. Well, what needs to happen first? You know, and what steps need to be taken to see that? Now, you know me, I wrote a book called Terraform, you know, so I'm, listen, I'm a dreamer. I'm, I'm, I'm real, I'm as real as it comes, but I'm a dreamer. Right now, I'm gonna be a dreamer. I mean, the first thing you gotta do is we gotta end colonialism. You have to end imperialism. You have to end apartheid. You have to end it. You have to end our modern geopolitical way we run nation states. Like you have to, you can't have empires because this is why. How is Israel enforcing their borders? It's violence. How else could you? Because no one would accept these terms. No one would accept these terms. That's what you're witnessing. Nobody's accepting these terms. I just, you have to enforce it by violence. Now, if you don't want to accept it, how do you resist it? Well, you resist, well, it's by violence. You resist. That's what, re, that's how you, but if there wasn't a thing, right? If there was, if the if colonialism purely, like if there wasn't a thing, right? You didn't have, you wouldn't have to enforce the borders that way. Like the homies that search for common ground say, you know, conflict is unavoidable, but violence is a choice. We gonna have conflicts. We ain't gotta murder each other. Why are borders like that? Why why are that happening? Well, because our economic model, our capitalism, whatever the model is, our economic model is based on scarcity. It's controlling our resources. The idea of like, I think there's this thing with like like loitering laws. Like, like if you think about loitering laws, what they're saying is you're not allowed to be somewhere doing nothing. Like you can't just be outside doing nothing. Like that's loitering because the land you're standing on belongs to someone. Or maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you still can't do that. It means it belongs to the state. And the state get to say this park is closed at 10 o'clock. Like you just can't just be outside. Like, so when you control resources, you're, if your whole model is based on scarcity, then it requires an enforcement of that scarcity to maintain your system. Remember we talked about like looting, you know, why is looting at the end of Hurricane Katrina? Nigga, y'all talk about looting? I, I I don't understand. A hurricane just happened. We just, everybody hungry. I don't understand. How was you talking about, what do you mean looting? I would love to pay the guy for the, for the, <laughs> I, you want me to leave $5 on the counter? You know what I'm saying? Like what you want me to do? Like, it's the city's underwater. Like I, well, there's food at the shelter. How you, how you, how you think I'm gonna get there? Like I just, you, I just like it's so preposterous, right? So I'm saying, if you gonna protect your little store, the only way to do it is you. I mean, you gotta put a gun in my face because if it's me and you, if you come in between me and my child's plate of food, nigga, it's violence. You'd have to. You'd have to. You have to rethink all that. You have to do away with racial supremacy. I don't know about outlawing. Like it has to go away. You have to. 
because it's racial supremacy. Like if you look at the doctrine of discovery, like you look at what we're looking at right now, like these people really think that some people's lives are just worth less. Like if y'all would just stay in y'all place, if you just, you just, you just really view these other people on the other side of this border as like they pawns in a war. You know what I'm saying? We trying to make a bigger point here. I just, I mean, how can you, how else can you justify what chattel slavery was if you, if you understand that the Africans are humans. Like, you can't justify the Holocaust if you don't think, if you think Jews are human. You can't justify what we did to the Native Americans if you don't call them savages. It's the same language you're hearing about immigration right now. Racial supremacy, that type of, like, racism, that type of thinking makes violence okay. Man, fuck them over there. So before you start talking about, oh, I just want peace, I just want peace, Okay, you got to think about the things that have to happen for us to see that peace. And my question to you is, how bad do you want peace? Little politics, y'all. Yo, yo, this thing right here was recorded by me, Propaganda, in East Los Boyle Heights, Los Angeles, California. This thing was mixed, edited, mastered, and scored by the one and only Matt Ausowski. Y'all, check out this fool's music. I mean, it's incredible. Executive produced by Sophie Lichterman for Cool Zone Media. Man, and thank you for everybody who continue to tap in with us. Make sure you leave a reviews and five-star ratings and sharing it with the homies so we could get this thing pushed up in the algorithm. And listen, I just want to remind you, these people is not smarter than you. If you understand city living, you understand politics. We'll see you next week. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.